You're listening to Coast to Coast Latino. Little Joey La Familia. Little Joe Hernandez is going to be 80 years old. And uh, let me tell you, uh, the music doesn't tire. This particular song, Las Nubes, was recorded in the 1970s. It became an anthem for the United Farm Workers Movement. They could relate to the song itself. It's a blend of jazz, country western, Mexican mariachi, conjunto, and uh, just a wonderful sound. The music of Little Joey La Familia has not died, but rather has grown into legendary status. If you get a chance, download it from uh, iTunes. Uh, the other option, of course, is you can watch some of the videos that are available on YouTube. Little Joe y La Familia, an incredible band, incredible sound out of uh, Texas. Thank you for joining me this Friday. My name is Adrian Perez. We are here on Coast to Coast Latino. Uh, lots of information to cover with you. Last night was perhaps the most bizarre night any of us have ever experienced in the political world. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But as we wind down the uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, I want to share a lot of information with you, useful information that I think you can use whether you're a, uh, an educator, a business owner, a, uh, a politician, uh, a, a uh, uh, you know, a, a soccer mom. I mean, it's it, this information, student, this information is extremely important to you. And so I'm going to give you a lot of data today to be able to really capture mentally the size of our of our community throughout the United States and the many things that we're doing and how active we are, but more importantly, how critical the Latino community is to the United States of America. Not only the economy, the schools, the voting, the uh, just every component that is crucial for the United States to fully function as a democracy. And uh, uh, why don't we get started with some very basic information. Forbes magazine ran an article this week written by Rohit Aurora, who is the co-founder of Biz2Credit. And Biz2Credit went out and did a survey. And the survey was targeted at Latino-owned businesses. And... So get ready. I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle some incredible numbers for you, uh, just to just to give you an idea of how powerful the Latino community is. Uh, average annual revenue. This is the pro pre COVID nineteen data. So in other words, it's it's data from uh, 2019. Hispanic owned businesses increased their total annual revenue at an average of 525,414 dollars. Okay? This is before the pandemic hit. 
the improvement is 10%. 10% over a one-year period. Okay, so let me repeat that. The average annual revenue of a Hispanic-owned business increased to $525,414. Prior to that, it was $479,412. The number of credit applications from Hispanic-owned businesses actually decreased by 4%. Decreased. It went down because they're generating their own revenue. They didn't have to rely on uh, on uh, on credit but here's a speaking about credit here's an, another interesting piece of information the average credit score for hispanics increased from 2019 to 2020 increased from 588 a score of 588 to a score of 618 618 and what industries are Latino-owned businesses in? Well, uh, construction remains the largest category of businesses representing 17% of the total Latino-owned companies in the U.S. Uh, services, except for public administration, was at 15.8%. Accommodation and food came in at 14.6%, retail came in at 9.4%, transportation and warehousing, 7.6%. Uh, and those are the most common industries for Latino entrepreneurs. The uh, average annual revenue for Hispanic-owned businesses, as I mentioned, was Five hundred and twenty-five thousand four hundred and fifteen, but it was still ninety-six thousand dollars less than non-Latino-owned companies. Okay, so we're we're going up there. We're we're increasing, but we're still not equal to non-Hispanics in the U.S. The average operating expense for a uh, for a uh, Latino-owned business was 67%. So in other words, out of the $525,415, $349,445 was spent on operating. Okay. And people go, well, geez, if they're not making that much money, uh, 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 you know, how, how do they stay uh, afloat? It's very creative and innovative ways of of, uh, of dealing with your business. And Latinos are known for very innovative ways of, of uh, making their business a success. Uh, now, understand that 67%, and if we round it up to 70%, that means that out of every dollar that a Latino-owned business owner makes... 70% or rather uh, $7 will go back into the business and 30 cents is profit for him or her. And uh, Latina still remain the fastest growing business owners uh, in the U.S., Latino business owners. California 
uh, was the state with the most loan applications, uh, followed by Texas, Florida, New York, New Jersey, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Illinois, Virginia, uh, and those are the top 10. Okay, now, uh, after COVID-19 hit, and, and, and what the survey did is it used uh, February 2020 as its baseline, Latino-owned businesses saw a 42% drop in revenue in March and in April. Although the, some of their numbers improved during the summer because obviously the uh, the uh, uh, co- the economy was opening back up, but the costs of running a business also went up. In a research uh, conducted by the Stanford Latino Entrepreneurship Initiative uh, in May, they found that 86% of Latino business owners surveyed reported an immediate negative impact of COVID-19, a financial negative impact. Nearly two-thirds of those respondents said they would uh, likely be out of business in six months if COVID restrictions remain in place. As a result, we've seen a lot of businesses shut down uh, in in many states. And right now that the pandemic is coming back up, uh, we're probably going to see a larger negative impact since we haven't had any stimulus packages considered or approved by the federal government. So the one and only stimulus package that um, was uh, provided uh, right before summer, uh, almost all that money is gone. Plus, something else happened with uh, with that money. If If a small business owner applied for a a PPP loan, they had to use that money to maintain, to, to, to keep their employees, which meant that the investment needed for, get this, the personal protection equipment necessary for the workers to have, the uh, necessary social distancing, required by uh, uh, county health departments for businesses. It translated into less customers being served. So the revenue isn't, isn't there to be able to continuously offset the cost of having employees and uh, being able to protect the employees and the customers at the same time. So the impact has been very negative. As a result, like like uh, the uh, survey said, uh, that uh, some businesses are just going to call it quits. They're they're not going to be able uh, to to survive. However, there's an interesting uh, uh, twist that has occurred in the last month. Uh, new data shows that construction firms are back in, primarily because people are modifying their homes to be able to accommodate uh, working and living in their new workspace. And that's their homes. So they're modifying their homes. And there are some construction companies that are saying they have so much work right now, they are unable 
to take any new work until the fall of 2021. So, you know, uh, and considering the fact that uh, that construction is 17 percent of of the Latino owned businesses, that tells us that the construction industry, the the 17 percent is probably going to grow a lot more. Now, there are stories that we have on uh, Coast to Coast Latino on Facebook that uh, talk about the transition of a company from making bread to uh, putting up sheetrock because they, they jumped to the construction industry because that's where the growth is at. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. So this particular article, like I said, uh, uh, was uh, posted by uh, Ford magazine. You can find this article in a bunch of other articles that we update daily on our Facebook group. That's Coast to Coast La- Latino Facebook group. And uh, if you join us there daily, you'll be amazed uh, just how many things are happening nationwide with Latinos. We're going to, co- and I'm going to continue right now covering some more data for you. Good stuff, important stuff. We're going to jump over to uh, voting. The total number of Latinos who are uh, eligible, eligible to vote is the highest it's ever been. Uh, It's even larger than the African-American vote. Uh, Latinos are 13.3% of the total number of voters, while African-Americans are 13% of the total number of voters. But the research uh, that was done by the Pew uh, Research Center tells us that the majority of racial and ethnic voter groups lean democratic, except for whites. The number of white Democrats is at 53%. The number of uh, African-American voters that are Democrat are at 83%. Hispanics are 63% of the registered voters are Democrats. And uh, in the Asians, they are 72%. Now, out of the out of the four groups that I just identified, whites crisscross uh, quite a bit. They've crisscrossed since 1994, uh, becoming uh, either Republican or Democrat. Uh, and uh, and that number continues today, uh, with only 53% of white being Democrats, 42% are Republican, and uh, the rest are undeclared. With, uh, with blacks, it's been very, very consistent since 1994. Uh, in 1994, 81% of the black uh, registered voters were Democrat, and only 11 were uh, Republican. Today, 83% are Democrat, and only 10% are Republican. Uh, 
with Hispanics, uh, we go back not all the way to 1994, uh, but still, in 1998, 57% of Democrats of Hispanics were Democrats. To today, they are 63%, and in 1998, uh, 29% were Republican, and today they remain at 29%. So how did Donald Trump end up getting uh, uh, 30% of the uh, Latino vote? That's a whole different discussion, but we need to have that discussion. Uh, with the Asians, this is probably the most interesting. In 1994, uh, they were 33% Republican and 53% uh, Democrat. Their numbers were even only eight years later, but today the Asian community is at 72% Democrat and 17% Republican. So what? how does that translate into uh, election results? It's, it's determined based on a state-by-state -state basis. On the national level, the only impacts that uh, voters can have across the U.S is for president. But when it comes to the election of uh, state senators and and US senators and Congress people and assembly representatives, the numbers are significant. Because for the first time, we're looking at Texas actually becoming blue. And California has been blue for going almost on, on 20 years. Uh, Florida is slowly but surely turning blue. And that's how significant the Latino vote is. We are making the difference between whether a state remains Republican, red, or uh, Democrat, blue. Uh, and it's a very interesting dynamic, and I hope uh, this information is especially good for those of you that are following the elections. And for those of you that are students of, uh, of uh, like Latino history, Latino culture, uh, ethnic studies, uh, even history, I want to share something with you. Our community, the Latino community, has gone through a variation of name changes based on the the political climate as well as the uh, youth movement and uh, young latinos have been pushing hard to have a gender neutral name and so they've been pushing latinx uh, latinos who would rather be called latinos than not latinx uh, would rather have latino and then the older the group gets, especially to, uh, to the level of baby boomers, then you see Mexican-American, Chicano, uh, Hispanic. You don't see Latinx. So the Pew Research Center decided, well, let's, let's take a look and see who, who knows about Latinx and the movement on Latinx. Well, they found that only one out of every four Latinos in the United States of America is familiar with the name of Latinx. However, only 
actually use it. What's interesting is the media, which is trying to be more relevant to our youth, is using it a lot more aggressively than Latinos themselves across the United States. And so there's a big push by the media and and some politicians to recognize Latinx because it's it's a youth term. But and and so I'm glad that 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 uh, we have these discussions but understand that we've gone through so many different names that some people are just tired of being called something other than American. Uh, it's, it's frustrating for individuals who were born here, can barely speak Spanish, if they even speak it at all, are not able to really connect with their Latino or, or Hispanic uh, roots because they've been here so long that uh, they're American. And so when you see people standing up and saluting the Mexican flag or standing up and saluting the Panamanian flag, etc., it's out of respect more than it is a real connection to those countries. And as a result, we have a lot of people that are not going to accept a term like Latinx uh, because they don't see themselves as a, a uh, subculture, but rather as part of the main culture, and that is American. And yes, we can go on and on for days on this discussion. The bottom line, as my, my late brother Frank used to say, uh, I don't care what you call me, just don't call me late for dinner. And... Uh, uh, so let's move on. Interesting discussion, interesting dynamic, but let's move on. So what are the top 12 key issues that are affecting Latino voters across the United States? In other words, uh, what, what's, what's your biggest concerns? And uh, so the Pew Research Center... And by the way, the Pew Research Center is a nonprofit organization, independent, and they run all these studies. And if you go on their website, you'll be uh, thrilled to find so much information. But uh, here's a study that they did on uh, on Latino voters and uh, for the 2020 election. And here's what they found. They found that the top number one issue concern is the economy. In fact, Latinos are more concerned about the economy than non-Hispanics. Isn't that interesting? We're more concerned about how much money we're going to have in the bank account and whether our business is going to grow or whether we're, we're going to get a, a good paying job than uh, non-Latinos. I think it's a very fascinating statistic. Uh, second one, healthcare. We're more concerned about healthcare, and we have a strong connection with the uh, senior uh, whites in this country, and that's that healthcare is up on the top of our biggest concern. Uh, the third 
is actually the coronavirus outbreak because we're seeing it impact the Latino community hardest of all communities. We have essential workers who don't have the proper protection, so they're getting ill. And our cultural ways are also affecting us. Uh, you know, we're, we're a hugging, we're a touching uh, uh, type of, uh, of culture. And so that's also getting us sick. Our children are back in school. Many of them are getting sick and they're bringing it home to mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa. So, uh, yeah, the, the concern is, is in fact very significant. The fourth is the inequity uh, among the races and the ethnicities. That's a big concern for us because we want to treat it, be treated like everybody else. I mean, some of us were born here in the U.S. We saw the discrimination growing up, and we're still seeing the discrimination happen with our, with our kids. And the idea was to see their growth in a very equitable environment, and even with the passage of laws and, and policies, etc., cetera, uh, we're right back where we were at uh, prior to the uh, uh, Civil Rights Act, and uh, no thank you to uh, Donald Trump. Uh, another one, that, uh, and, it's, and it's number five on the list, is violent crime. And of course, we're very concerned about violent crime. Uh, sixth, Supreme Court appointments. I know, really, we're concerned about Supreme Court appointments. Yeah, because we want to be sure that whoever is appointed there doesn't have a bias against Latinos. Uh, and then there's climate change. And I'm surprised that climate change is so far down considering the fact that we, we work with soil. Our indigenous heritage was about protecting uh, the environment. And yet, here we are uh, at number six, uh, uh, number seven rather, and uh, number eight is also the surprise, and that's immigration. And the reason a lot of people now recognize that immigration is not on the top of the list is because all you need to do is look at the birth rates of Latinos. It's, it's like 87% in the U.S. And we have such a small immigration uh, number today that immigration has quickly dropped to number eight. Uh, after that, we have gun policy, economic inequity, foreign policy, and abortion. So, yeah, some, uh, some very interesting data uh, for voters, from voters. And uh, for those of you that are doing campaigns, you got to pay attention to this. You want to attract the Latino voters, you got to talk about these top uh, three, five items rather than uh, focusing in on things that are of more concern to your political parties. Finally, I want to cover another set of data. This is regarding professional sports. Latinos can be found on the soccer field. There's no question about it. Uh, Latinos can also be found uh, in baseball. But when it comes to football and basketball, you rarely see Latinos, you rarely see us, 
uh, especially as a player and a coach. And uh, just to give you an idea, the uh, USA Today is running an article on uh, Hispanics in the NFL. And they're telling us that uh, out of the 1,657 people employed by the NFL, only 0.5% are Latino. Only 0.5%. That means approximately eight people that are Latinos are in the NFL. Uh, even though we have such a growing population, it's like the NFL doesn't see us, and we don't understand why. Uh, in Mexico, for example, 22 million people follow the NFL. You'd figure that the, at the least they can do, the NFL can do, is put Tom Flores in the NFL Hall of Fame. And it's frustrating for a Latino like me to, to watch the very first Latino quarterback who won a Super Bowl championship, became a head coach of a Super Bowl team. He's got four, four Super Bowl rings. And he's not in the NFL Hall of Fame. That's awful, and it's embarrassing. And talking about embarrassing, let me share with you something else. The debate or the town halls last night were awful. You have uh, a divided country. You have NBC and ABC that are running two different town halls, one with uh, President Trump and the other one with Vice President Joe Biden. I tried to watch both, but it was very hard. Joe Biden was putting me to sleep, and Donald Trump was so argumentative. Although it was it was a lot calmer to watch this than to watch the first debate. Uh, you know, let me tell you, Donald Trump has issues. He had problems uh, denying uh, uh, QAnon. And QAnon is the one that believes that the Democrats are out uh, pedophiling with little kids and murdering them and stuff. Let me tell you, it's ugly. And this election is ugly. But I hope you vote. Because without your vote, your voice cannot be counted. Your voice needs to be counted. Make sure you vote. I want to thank you for joining me this Friday. Coast to Coast Latino. If you want to follow more of our articles, what's going on, visit us at, uh, at coasttocoast.com or check out our uh, daily updates at, uh, on Facebook at Coast to Coast Latino Group on Facebook. Again, I want to thank you for joining us and I want to uh, do a shout out to our sponsors, the Vida de Oro Foundation, U-Haul, and OIC Tax Services. Again, my name is Adrian Perez. I especially want to thank you for joining me again. And until Wednesday of next week, please stay safe, wear a mask.